Well, Bridge family, it is exciting to see you here. You are doing a good job of keeping your social distance from me. I am so excited to see you this day. And I want to uh, just say thank you so much uh, for your continued faithfulness to the, um, to the Bridge family, to, to support the work of God. Um, because of your generosity and your faithfulness, uh, you know, we're keeping all of our bills paid, all of our missionaries uh, we're keeping up to date with, all of our outreach ministries we're up to date with, and we're able to support ministries like Kevin and Sarah with Crew at Stout, Leah and Nicole Rickard at Eau Claire. Um, you remember uh, the Cortons and, and uh, Logan Corton, and they're at, with InterVarsity at Stevens Point. Nicole Ludeke is with Navigators at the University of Alabama, and all those people have been a part of the bridge at some time in the past. So I'd like to just begin with, with prayer and to thank God for His generosity and your generosity, and pray also for uh, the Kepin's request. Let's pray. Gracious God, we, just, uh, we rejoice today at your goodness for us. I just uh, thank you so much for the generosity of your church, the Bridge family, and their faithfulness. I thank you, God, for providing for us and enabling us, each one. We recognize that all that we have is from you. Uh, may you just continue to enable us um, as you have, as uh, people have just continued to give um, to the regular um, needs of the church as well as to grow forward and uh, it's just amazing God. Thank you for Kevin and Sarah and their heart for you and their desire to reach students uh, at Stout and may you uh, help them uh, to adapt to, to their new reality this fall and to be able to connect with students and faculty to be able to represent Jesus and to help people connect with God and to help uh, people grow into fully devoted followers of Christ. And we pray for Lee and Nicole as well as they're located uh, at the campus here in Eau Claire. We think of uh, the Cortons in Stevens Point, and we think of Nicole Ludeke and University of Alabama, and they are, all are facing the same kinds of things and adapting and reaching out in new ways and helping people come to faith. Uh, we want to commit our time to you. Thank you for the privilege to worship in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 14, if you want to find that passage. I'm not sure we announced it ahead of time. And then, uh, of course, there is an outline if you want to find it on the website and follow along. According to a new study released by the Center for Disease Control just on August 13th, according to this new study, COVID is causing stress. Did you know that? COVID is causing some people stress. Symptoms of anxiety disorder, depressive disorder, substance use, and suicidal thoughts have increased in the second quarter of this year with over 40% of individuals reporting in June an adverse mental or behavioral health condition. COVID is affecting people's mental health 
and their behavior health. Now, I think we all knew that COVID has been hard. Today, we have many uncertainties. Um, you know, if we look back in March, we kind of thought this might be over by the end of April or May. And then we thought it was going to be over maybe in June or maybe July. And here we are. And there are many questions about our future that we've been talking about. Things like, uh, when will this vaccine be ready? Uh, what if someone in my family gets COVID? Questions. Will my job last through the year? Some of you are not worried about that at all. For some of you, this is a very real issue. How well will my family hold up if this goes on another year? How bad will the economy get in the next two years? What's going to happen in the upcoming November election? Will we make any progress as a nation as we continue to struggle with racial issues? And in a small thing, when are we going to be able to worship again in a safe environment? When we think about it, we're kind of being held captive by COVID, a COVID captivity. Today I want to look at a passage, and that's that Jeremiah 29 passage. I think we can learn some things from. Here we find God's people in distress because they have been displaced from their normal life and their normal schedules. And what should God's people do now? That's chapter 29, verses 4 through 7. They are in captivity. And here's their predicament in verse 4. The time is about 595, 596 to 594 BC. We don't know exactly. We have a pretty close guess. People have been physically removed from their homes. They are in exile. They are being held captive. An evil king named Abuchanezer, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and sur surrounded the city until some of those people surrendered, and then he eased up and left. And they were transported 1,678 miles. Now, Babylon today is uh, near the city of Baghdad, about 60 miles. Just imagine our maps right now. 60 miles southwest of Baghdad is, is the ancient city of Babylon. It's almost due east of Jerusalem. However, to get there, they didn't have I-94. They had to travel the known highways of the day, which were sort of natural ways that people could get through um, the topology. And they had to go up north and around and then down nearly 1,700 miles. This was a time of great turmoil and disorder. It was a time of conflict and strife among the religious leaders. It was a time of radically differing opinions about what was going to happen or what should happen in the future. It was a time of doubt and distrust. It was a time of major disappointment with God. Some of this sound familiar. God's people were living in a city and a nation where their neighbors did not know the true and living God. The Babylonians, they dressed in a funny way. 
They ate weird food, and they had some odd social customs. And God's people were required to follow the rules of the Babylonians. Jeremiah 29, verse 4, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Word about Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a great prophet. He ministered for over 40 years to three different kings. He spoke for God when people did not want to hear. That was sort of the primary attitude that God's people had when Jeremiah spoke. Not an exciting ministry, but a very important one. And and here, beginning at verse 4, we have a letter from Jeremiah. Jeremiah is in Jerusalem, and he's writing a letter to those exiles in Babylon. He has a message from God to those people who are living in exile. God says, I have orchestrated this event. I sent you to Babylon. I carried you into exile from Jerusalem Jerusalem to Babylon. What does this mean? It means that God's people are being held captive because God wants his people to be held captive at this time. That was God's plan. Now, why were they being held captive? Well, God had warned them about 800 years earlier. This is not new for God's people. He had warned them clearly in the book of Deuteronomy from chapter 28 to chapter 32 about how the, what God's expectations were them for, the, for living in the land of Israel. And God said, if you disobey and if you follow after other gods and if you leave me, I will discipline you harshly. Now, Jeremiah had been warning God's people now for about 30 years when God carried them into captivity. A group of about 10,000 people from the city of Jerusalem. God has instructions for them on living in exile in verses 5 and 6. Now that he has them exactly where he wants them. And I want us to see one thing about this passage. How great our God is. He is a sovereign God. He is in control of human history. All of human history. And oftentimes we don't think so. And sometimes we don't want to think that. He is sovereign. He is the Lord Almighty. So here's his instructions. Here's what he says to those discouraged Israelites. What do they want? They want to go home, okay? He says, build houses and settle down, verse 5. What? We don't want to be here that long, God. Uh, How long does it take to build a house? I don't know how long it took back then. The attitude is, we don't want to settle down. We don't like this place. We want to be out of here. He continues, plant gardens and eat what they produce. That takes work, God. That takes time. We'd like to just get back to Jerusalem to the good old days. Then he says this in verse 6, marry and have sons and daughters. What does that mean, God? We aren't happy. Don't you get that? 
You want us to marry and to have sons and daughters? You want us to make babies? That can't all be bad, right? Then he goes on, find wives for your sons and and give your daughters in marriage. How long are we going to be here, Lord? That could take 20 years. Maybe that would take 30 years. So find wives, give your daughters in marriage. Why? So that they too will have sons and daughters. That's going to take forever, God. We just want to go home. And then he says, increase in number and do not decrease. You see, God wants them to thrive. God wants them to increase right where they are. Now, this is starting to sound a little bit like the Israelites when they were enslaved in Egypt. You remember that? That's not something they wanted at all. God took his people, 70 people, out of Israel and took them to Egypt where they became slaves for about 400 years. And they increased in number from 70 to probably at least two and a half million because they were 600,000 men over the age of 20 and they probably had some wives and they actually had large families. That could be pretty conservative. God had them increase while they were being held captive. Also, what about the neighbors? Verse 7, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have also which I have carried you into exile. Now this has got to be some kind of mistake, right, God? God wants them to seek peace. This is that word, that Hebrew word, shalom. God wants them to seek the well-being of their neighbors. God wants them to seek the good of their neighbors, physically, financially, emotionally, spiritually. That's shalom. God is asking them to do good for their neighbors. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city, the city of Babylon. That's like the most evil city in the world in its day. God says, that is where I've placed you, and that is where I want you to be right now. And then he says, pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Um, not only does God want them to pray for their neighbors, which really are their enemies, God wants his people to promote the well-being of the Babylonians. He wants the Babylonians to benefit from the presence of the people of God. God wants the Babylonians to thrive, to experience blessing, You know, it's sort of like the story of Joseph in Genesis 37 through 15. Remember that? Joseph was a young guy, about 17, and he thought he was pretty important, and he had a dream about how great things were going to be in the future, and his brothers didn't like him, and they sold him into slavery. And he went to Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's house began to be blessed because of the presence of Joseph, because of how Joseph lived and handled himself. And then he got thrown into prison, and that was bad, bad circumstances. But Joseph thrived there, and he caused the chief uh, 
prison guard to thrive as well. And he got appointed ahead over everything. And he had a good reputation. And then, you remember Pharaoh had a dream and he needed somebody to interpret it. And they found Joseph in prison and they took Joseph out and put him beside the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh prospered and Egypt prospered. And Joseph prospered. All this time, he was really a a captive, but he was right where God wanted him to be. What dangers do God's people face here in Babylon, verses 8 and 9? Jeremiah addresses one thing that God is concerned about for his people. He's not so concerned about how bad the people in Babylon are going to be. That's an outside issue. He's concerned about an inside issue. He's concerned about the people of God. The problem of deception in verse 8. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. This has been a huge problem in Israel already. There have been many false prophets and people who wanted to give a message that people wanted to hear. It was financially lucrative to do that. But God's people were easily deceived. One particular man who claimed to be a prophet for God was named Hananiah. He told the exiles that he would that they would all be back in Jerusalem in two years. You know, he had a good report. You just need to hang out here for two years. And I got your back. Everything's going to be fine. You're going to be back in Jerusalem. It's going to be great. But that was not God's plan. It was not God's instructions. And for his false report, God took him out of the picture within months. Verse 9, we see the need for spiritually strong leaders And we are reminded of this because God's people in exile would not listen because they were spiritually weak. They were spiritually callous. They had hard hearts. They needed spiritually strong leaders. Verse 9 says, They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. God's people needed spokesmen like Jeremiah who would speak the truth no matter what the consequences were no matter how hard it was, no matter whether people liked him or not, Jeremiah spoke the truth. So we go on to verses 10 through 14. What should God's people expect in the future? What should God's people expect now? They need to trust God's word. That's where we start in verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed in Babylon... How many already knew it was going to be 70 years? God's plan for his people was 70 years in his waiting room. He goes on to say, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Jeremiah's in Jerusalem. That's where the temple is. God says, I'm going to bring you back to my city I want to go back and read a passage from Jeremiah 25. God's people already knew this. Jeremiah had already told them these words. 
Verse 8 says, Therefore the Lord Almighty says this, Because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar. Please notice that. Nebuchadnezzar will be God's servant. King of Babylon declares the Lord, I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and an everlasting ruin. I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. This is probably a few years before they are carried into exile. And finally, in verse 12, But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation, the land of the Babylonians, for their guilt declares the Lord. And so, God says, people, after you've lived in Babylon 70 years, this is my plan, 70 years, you are in a waiting room. You are right where I want you to be. One of the things that's important for us to understand is that God keeps His word. God keeps His promises, and we can count on that. After 70 years... God did take his captives, his people in exile, and he took them back to Jerusalem. Jesus told us in Matthew 5.18, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen by any means will disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. God's word will stand. God will accomplish everything that he said. Every promise will be fulfilled. You can count on it. May we not take God's word lightly. Verse 11. We come to the a very popular verse. It may be the verse that our culture, that evangelical Christians know better than any other verse in the book of Jeremiah. 29.11. God says... For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. That is an encouraging passage. But let's remember the context, just to be clear about this. The context of this verse. This passage was written to the exiles in Babylon but it was written for us. There's a distinction. It was written to them. It is also for us. God's people had been displaced because God displaced them in Babylon. God had a specific plan and purpose for them. They would be exiled for 70 years. He had a purpose for that. He had a plan that he was working out. It was a big picture plan. They did not understand it. In fact, if they had gone back to Jerusalem, 
in seven or eight years, they would have been totally annihilated as a people. God took them to Babylon right into enemy territory and he preserved them and asked them to grow and prosper and seek the good of the people of their city. God had earmarked 70 years for them to settle down, to get on with their lives. Right in their circumstances, get on with their lives. To stop complaining about their circumstances, to start engaging in life. The life that God had provided for them right where they were in captivity. God wanted them to know that this was not the end. He wants them to prosper. He wants them to have hope. He wants them to know his good promises still apply to them. One particular man who claimed to be a prophet uh, in Jeremiah's day was named Hananiah. He told the exiles that they would be back in two years and everything would be fine. I think I mentioned this already. And God took him home very quickly. So this passage, Jeremiah 29, 11, is for us. God has plans for us. Can you embrace them right now where you are? God has plans for you to prosper, to thrive, to experience his blessing. Remember this, it's God's schedule. It's God's timing. It's his plans. It's for you. Now, we have a tendency to want to plan our own lives and ask God to put his stamp of approval on the things that we want because that seems best. And God has a different, a different outlook. Verses 12 and 13, God's expectations. God will prosper them and God will give them hope in the future, but he has some expectations. He says in verse 12, then you will call on me and come and pray and I will listen to you. God wants his people to call on him. God wants his people to turn to him and quit relying on other things and other people and other gods. Things that are more important than him. God wants God is looking for hearts that want to align with his. Look at verse 13. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. God wants us to come to him with open hearts. All that we are, all that we have. To seek him with all of our hearts. Not haphazardly, not casually. God wants his people to be fully devoted. When people's hearts are right... They will prosper. They will have hope. They will have a future. Verse 14, God's restoration. God says, I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. Now this refers directly to the exiles in Babylon. God will take them back where they want to be, in Jerusalem. And then he goes on, I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you. Well, maybe... Some Jewish people had been banished to other nations. I think this is a, 
an insight, an open door into the future, talking about an end time situation where God is going to call back all of his people from all over the world, from all of history. But right now, God has his people in a waiting room for 70 years. He's going to give them a future and a hope, but not yet. That's an important one for us. It's not yet. God has us in a waiting room. We are not there yet either. The ultimate place where God's people are to be is found in that well-known passage in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Listen to the words of the Apostle John. Then I saw a new heaven and earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautiful, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now this is where ultimately all of God's people will be. Whether they are the people of God from the Old Testament or the people of God from the New Testament period, which includes us. Verse 3, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be their God. He will, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Some of us have discomfort. Some of us have pain. Some of us have suffered some of us are unhappy with our circumstances. There's a time coming when God is going to take care of everything. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. This is when our pain and our problems will pale in view of eternity. Right now, we have a relationship with God, and we can enjoy that. We have benefits from it right now. We experience those things. We see God answer prayer. We get encouraged by God. We get encouraged by community with other believers. But you know what? We aren't there yet. We haven't reached all that God has promised. But He will keep His promises, and we can count on that. I'm going to close with... Uh, some simple lessons. Sometimes I close with lessons and uh, just listen to some of these. The first one is going to get your attention. So here, pay attention to this one. It may surprise you. God can use evil governments to accomplish his will. He used Nebuchadnezzar as the servant of God to get his people out of Jerusalem into Babylon. My point is this, don't put God in a box. God is sovereign. This is why it's so important to know scripture, to know, to know how God worked in the Old Testament, to know how God works in the New Testament, what his promises are. There's a whole lot of things I don't know, but there's a, I'm amazed about what I can know from scripture, what God has revealed about who he is and how he works and what I can trust and what I can count on. God is working out his plan right now. Part of that plan right now is he wants people to connect with him and to be developed into fully devoted followers of Christ. We know that absolutely for true. That's why we're here. 
Secondly, God is not impressed by our instant technology. He has a different kind of operating system that develops patience. Could you wait 70 years for an answer to your text? God has a big picture. And by the way, these promises, the promises I have for you, are plural. It's not just about you as an individual and all the things that I want. It's about the people of God, us, his church right now. He has a plan for us. It's one of the reasons it's important that we are connected, that we are a part of the body, because he has plans for us, and he wants to prosper us. Listen to the Apostle Peter, another well-known passage. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. I think those people in Babylon thought God was slow. Sometimes we think God is slow. We want God to act now. question for us is, can we trust God with his plans for our life, even when we don't know them all yet? Thirdly, God never commands us to win arguments with our enemies, only to love them. God didn't command people in Israel to be disgusted with the Babylonians and think of all the things that were wrong with them. He wanted them to seek their welfare. Jesus told us to love our neighbors and to love our enemies. Fourth lesson is don't be a victim of your circumstances. Let your circumstances allow you to see your need to rely on God. It would have been easy for the Israelites, and I'm sure many of them did, just to be able to complain and say, woe is me. But God used this 70-year period to get their attention. Most of those people who were adults when Jeremiah gave this prophecy would be dead in the 70-year period. And it would be their kids that would benefit. God used this 70-year period to get their attention. He wanted them to humbly approach him in prayer. God wanted his people to seek him with their whole heart. God protected and preserved them in Babylon. Number five, understand that God can use your enemies whenever he wants to humble you. It's kind of similar to what I've already said, but just think about it. There are people in your life that you may not like. People who disgust you. Another way to look at this is, what does God want you to learn from that? How is God testing your character that you would have an appropriate response to someone that you consider your enemy? Lastly, here's where we are today. Embrace your circumstances right now and live for God. Just embrace your circumstances because God is in it right now. Let's pray together. Father, we just uh, humbly bow before you and we um, thank you for the word of God and the reminder from Jeremiah to cause us to think. Give us wisdom to see what you're doing. Give us willing, humble hearts to join you, God, in what you're doing. May we seek peace and prosperity for our government leaders, for our co-workers, and for our neighbors. May people around us see God in us. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen.